Hello, listeners. Before we begin today's episode, I would like to take a moment to give you a heads up. Unfortunately, on today's episode, we had an issue with technology and uh, general microphone arguments and things like that, and we lost about half of our recorded content in the process of saving files. And as a result, when we went back and re-recorded the last half of this episode, there was some mic mix-ups, and we recorded about 20 minutes of this episode on the wrong, wrong microphone settings. So we have a significant drop in quality around minute 34, Uh, as far as your audio quality goes, and it goes until about minute 54. So there's about 20 minutes worth of content that is just a significant drop in quality. And I want to apologize ahead of time for that and just please bear with us. Our content is there, but unfortunately the quality is not to our standards, but we did not have a chance to re-record a third time. So thank you so much for your patience and enjoy. And I'm a you know, prickly face fellow. Prickly, no. Hang on, I gotta get the quote. Yeah, you do. <sighs> I thought I had it. Hello, and welcome to Chronically, colon Narnia, a podcast where we read through the Chronicles of Narnia literature series and discuss it chapter by chapter, analyzing it and discussing it and picking out themes and doing that all that other college literary stuff that, uh, you know, you, you graduate and you don't think you'll ever have a use for again, then you decide to start a literature podcast because you don't like your day job, uh, and I'm getting away from myself, but anyway, um, Hi. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for joining I'm us. I'm Bricklethumb, also known as Kristen, and the talkative one is... I'm a small prickly person with a dark face, uh, also known as Chris. Also known as a hedgehog. Uh-huh. It's your spirit animal, not mine. <laughs> okay. So anyway, welcome to the podcast, Kristen. We have a whole new setup. We've got a new desk. We've got a new microphone arrangement. So now that we're we're actually sitting across from each other and can look at each other while we're podcasting, it's crazy. Ew. I'm going to be so distracted. Our quality is going to go down. Yeah, I know. You have to look at my terrible face the entire time. No. I, you're going to sit there and be upset when I'm staring out the window because I can <laughs> see out the window now. <laughs> Isn't that so much nicer? Yeah, but we might need to switch sides. Okay. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Would you like to go ahead and start off by doing our sin summary? So Sounds this, good. This is how we start off. Would you off. like to get us some brown stuff that's kind of warm with some yellow stuff spread on it? No, it's not dinner time yet. No, that's for get... breakfast, though. As if you have toast only at one time of the day. As if. <laughs> anyway, so this what we do here is we go through the chapter and we pick out five sentences that we think do a good job of summarizing the chapter. And we read them just to get a baseline for what we're talking about. So, do you want me to go first, or do you want me to go? Or, do you want me to go first, or do you want me to go first? <laughs> I guess <sighs> you should go first. Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, read my summary. Here it is. Chapter twelve, Shasta in Narnia. We haven't named the chapter yet. This is what we're talking about. The country which he was looking at was absolutely new to him. Lion alive! Roared the dwarf as soon as he heard the news. The trumpet sounded again. A new noise to Shasta. Not. Huge and solemn like the horns of Tashban, nor gay and merry like King Loon's hunting horn, but clear and sharp and valiant. And at once there was a great bustle of people dismounting and haversacks being opened and conversation beginning when Corrin came running up to Shasta and seized both his hands and cried, What? You here? I know now that you are no traitor, boy, said King Edmund, laying his hand on Shasta's head. Okay. So, mm. Okay. All right. So I'll go ahead and do my summary then. Go for it. Don't get stuck in my notebook. And now <laughs> I'm in Narnia. Narnia must go to the aid of King Loon. Trumpets, said all of the dwarves as they and Shasta all came running out. Who is your highness's friend, said King Edmund, who had just got off his horse. But Corrin was the sort of boy whom one is sure to hear of pretty soon, 
and it wasn't very long before Shasta heard King Edmund saying in a loud voice, By the lion's mane, prince, this is too much! There you go. So yeah. we went through kind of a, char- uh, a similar character and introdu- introduction and steps there. That's very... They rhymed. Uh, they, they had a, a mirroring effect. So we have Shasta getting into Narnia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of, this chapter kind of starts with the lion that was just talking to him and like got all shiny, disappeared. It's just gone. Yeah. And there's a big giant paw print where he was. And it was raining, and the paw print filled with water, and it turned into a river, uh, which I fo- found to be very odd levels of imagery and like a weird. It was an interesting intro. It was yeah. like very like surrealist, like. And Shasta kind of, it... like scooped some of this crystal clear water out of the paw print and drank deeply, and then splashed his head into it and yeah. shook the water out of his ears. Mm-hmm. And slicked his hair back and headed on into Narnia. Like, mm-hmm. it just, I don't, everything about the intro of this chapter was very just like, why? <laughs> uh, how big is this paw print? <laughs> That's I mean, my question. Like, Apparently, it's, can, it's basically a lake once it fills up with rainwater. <laughs> just, I mean, it's big enough for him to splash his face with. So, like... A good couple handfuls of water, you know, like a sploosh of water on your face. Yeah, so what's the symbolism here? So we've come out of Arkenland, we're in Narnia, and this is like the intro into Narnia. We have the river forming in the paw print of Aslan, and it's flowing out into the green and verdant valley, and Shasta looks out over it, and it's lush, and there's low hills, and, you know, it's the the picture of, like, rural England. Um, Yes, it is, exactly. (laughs) Uh Um, and I don't know, like, I, it's very much this intention to, like, convey this clean water, like, we've, we have Shasta having grown up in, like, a fishing hut, so he grew up near salt water, Mm -hmm. this is a fresh water flowing into this wonderful land that is not where Shasta will probably ultimately end up staying because he will probably ultimately end up back in Arkenland living with Corin. But something like that. For right now, he has made it to Narnia. He's made it to Bree's destination that Bree provided for him. Mm-hmm. When he met Bree, it was Bree who was like, We can go to Narnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're from Narnia. So we have Narnia as this. I don't know. I, I I don't know what the symbolism of the of the water and the paw print is, but it's definitely provided for him an easy access to water to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets off the horse, unbridles it, unsaddles it, tells it off for it's being a, terrible, a horse. terrible horse, and it had a very poor opinion of Shasta. <laughs> Apparently, Lewis tells us, mm-hmm. and then. Um, Shasta wanders into the woods. He wishes woods. he could eat grass. He does wish he could eat grass. Which is, uh, I mean, not really an echo, but uh, a foreshadowing of the conversation that happens in Magician's Nephew between, like, Diggory and uh, and Fledge. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, It's just yeah. like, Fledge is just like, why don't you eat some grass? It's delicious. Yep. And Diggory's just like, yeah, no, can't do that. Wish we could eat grass. We do have that <laughs> interesting moment. I missed that. Uh-huh. Um... I remembered that there was something there, but I couldn't, like, place it. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Shasta encountering the small woodland people yeah. of Narnia. Um, he encounters you, uh, a little hedgehog. Mm-hmm. And he says, the King Loon is under attack in Arkenland. We... And really, really quick though, uh, if, Lew- if C.S. Lewis had been a contemporary uh, of us, you know, if he'd been a millennial... Uh, author writing some modern YA fiction. Would he have been a brony? Um, <laughs> he certainly uh, would have written some toast fictions. Mm-hmm. Because like, we once again have toast, and I and I put a big square around the word toast in my notes because <laughs> I wanted to bring up toast once again after everything with Lucy and Thomas yeah. and the toast. We'll get there. <laughs> 
Um, um, but maybe, maybe he's, he would. He's have real been into running. horses. He was real. He's really into horses. He's really into seagulls. He's mm-hmm. he's really into. He's a man of many interests. The dawn dew. Uh huh. Trees. He's very into trees. Yep. Um. So we meet the hedgehog. Hedgehog is the first introduction of a of another talking animal that's not Bree or or when to the story, and yep. that's like the first thing that Shasta encounters in uh Oh no no no, Salopad. Okay, yeah. But well, this is whatever. the first critter Shasta encounters in Narnia. Yes. And it w- it is very quickly going to be joined by several others. Yes, and very quickly. And I'd like to read a sentence. Go for it. No. I'm part <laughs> of a sentence at least. The smaller woodland people of Narnia were so safe and happy that they were getting a little careless. Mhm. So when Shasta tells them, like, oh, there's there's an emergency. We need to contact the kings and queens and tell them that Arkenland is under attack by Rabidash. They're like, oh, well, I'm on my way to my nap. Maybe the rabbit can help you. And mm-hmm. then there's a whole group of people around. And finally, two more sensible creatures <laughs> show up, the stag and Duffel, yeah. the dwarf. And this is this is the description, and I found this to be a very interesting take on C.S. Lewis's perspective of these woodland critters living in Narnia after we've already had the uh, the Grand Vizier and Rabidash and uh, what's the king's name? Um. Rabidash's father. What's what's his title? The Tisrock. The Tisrock, may he live forever. Mm-hmm. So we have the the Grand Vizier, Rabidash, and the Tisrock discussing Narnia and talking about how lazy the free creatures are, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And once again, this is mirroring this idea of Bree being lazy because he was once a slave and no longer has anything to drive him. And now we have all of these woodland critters that have become careless because they're so safe and happy. It's like, does C.S. Lewis really have a problem with like the autonomy of like woodland critters and people in general and like think that there are some people that can only be successful if they're being driven by someone else? Well, it's it's interesting if you do we need to look at that in the context of like when in in the situation uh, that he's writing this in. Be- because and this is like, you know, we we've talked about before how, you know, Narnia is this metaphor for, you know, England, also Calvinist heaven, but England, and you have all these like woodland critters that populate it, and this is like the the Pax of Narnia that happens after the Great War. And so this is like, you know, you can look at this as a direct analog for this is England right after World War II happens. Right. Like it gets torn up. We have the, you know, the occupation of France and we have like England under assault by, you know, the Luftwaffe and the bombing runs. I see. And, and I feel like you've gone too far into time. I think that you're talking about this is the time between the wars where Narnia is here in this state of peace and will have to go rescue France. Possibly. But uh, I was just thinking maybe this is a this is a commentary uh, that Lewis is making on his fellow countrymen after the war and how complacent people have gotten. And if that's, if that's maybe something he's trying to say here. It's possible, but it's also like so <sighs> snooty and <laughs> so frustrating and so like... I mean, it's like, it's disrespectful. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, hey, people who were enslaved can no longer amount to anything. People who are safe and comfortable after having faced oppression are careless. Um, you have to have sensible people come show up and remind you that maybe you should rush off and tell the king the important information like yeah. the stag goes running and one of the rabbits goes i wonder where he's going not gonna find king peter at care Paravel. yeah like he just said that he was going to tell the kings and queens like yeah lucy is still at care Paravel, like mm-hmm. and she rides to war with them so it's not like like she is lucy the valiant at this point they know her that way like it's <laughs> not like she is just incapable of raising the army and rushing off to Arkenland, even if she is by herself. Yeah, I mean, that being said, I feel like, you know, it, it is judgmental of the of the citizens of Narnia, but at the same time, there is very much the, like, 
I don't want to say laziness, but this complacency there where like this kid runs in and he's like, yeah, you know, Calarmine's invading Arkenland. They're going to attack the castle. We need to get help. And the hedgehog's just like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, but hey. this is how C.S. Lewis chose to wrote, write these creatures. Yeah. Like these are the <laughs> same creatures that had to choose, you know, whether or not they were going to celebrate Christmas when Father Christmas showed up and whether or not they were going to face the queen and whether or not like they were going to go to the stone table to meet Aslan. Like, this isn't like these creatures haven't in their lifetime faced adversity like this. Like, I also feel like this passage is like the direct inspiration for how uh, Steve as our DM has done all the voices for animals in campaigns that we've run. (laughs) Where it's just like the very nonchalant, like, oh, that's interesting. Wouldn't you know that? Well, hmm. You, with 200 horses you say oh, somebody should do something about that like this is this is steve's animal voice right here this is where it comes from <sighs> their personalities uh, like the very non-helpful uh you know friendly what do you what's a word for like friendly non-helpfulness it's like it's not like they don't care and they're like standoffish like they're very welcoming and friendly to shasta they just like are like yeah whatever Somebody else should do something about that. I'm not going to. It's just, I don't know, incompetent. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so we meet those critters. Then we meet two more competent ones. We have the red dwarf uh, type of star, uh, whose name is Duffel. Duffel. Uh, and no, then... his name is apparently Duffel. <laughs> uh-huh. And then we <laughs> and also... C.S. Lewis just like was like, wait, what was his name? And then we have the name... Well, apparently he's called Duffel. And we have a nameless stag. Yes. Uh, and they're just like, hey, we should actually do something. And then, you know. The, the stag whose legs were so thin, he thought he could break them with two fingers. Yep, apparently. But he's got speed. Yep. And so he is the one he's willing to. He's faster than the dwarf. He's going to run off with part of the message and find, you know, go to Care Paravel and deliver this, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Which, you know, maybe would make more sense if there was like a bird nearby because like a bird can like fly straight yeah, there and could, deliver this could have birds but, were messengers for the queen yeah so do we trust the birds <laughs> i mean salopat is one of the uh compatriots what he's one of the council of the kings and yeah. queens so clearly they trust some birds so stag runs off and the dwarf is just like hey you know what you need breakfast well he's like he starts is... talking to the kid and is like are you okay mm-hmm. you t- you don't look okay why are you green shasta's about to pass out here um yep. how long has it been since you eaten uh-huh yesterday morning and oh, i mean and then he berates himself the dwarf berates himself <laughs> or not ch- he he chastises all of the yep. other critters being like how could you treat our guest in this way by not providing him with food and yep. all of them are just like uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the dwarf takes him to you know to the dwarf hut. Yep. To uh to Rogan know, and uh to, Bricklethumb to get some breakfast. Um, <laughs> tells him to be careful and not hit his head right after he hits his head. And we have one of those great lines by by Lewis here. Yeah. It says, and immediately mixed with a sizzling sound, there came to Shasta a simply delightful smell. Oh. It was one he had never smelled in his life before, but I hope you have. Ooh. <laughs> It was, in fact, the smell of bacon and eggs and mushrooms all frying in a pan. It's very English breakfast taking shape. Ooh. You know, where's the beans and tomatoes? I don't know. But we have the, the bacon and the eggs frying up, which brought me to the question of what are the ethics of bacon in Narnia? I was going <laughs> to ask this. Our, so pigs like can't be talking critters if they're going to eat them. Mm-hmm. So they have to be some of the non-talking critters. Yeah. But yeah, no, when I read that, I thought the exact same thing. I was just like, can we eat animals in Narnia? Mm-hmm. Can we? Yeah, it just seems, it just seems problematic. Uh, so yeah, it, it again brings up this really interesting question, which we never really have talked about in the books thus far. Uh, I mean, in the fiction of like this class divide that exists in Narnia between the the haves and the have-nots, like the smart animals versus the dumb animals, and like how how apparently the talking animals don't identify with the non-talking animals to such an extent that they're totally cool eating them. I mean, like it's but who's eating them? This is dwarfs. Yeah, this is not like the hedgehog offering up some bacon. Yes, but it's still like the dwarf is still going down and calling all the animals neighbors. 
being like, hey, neighbors, friends, and like very much lives in community with these. Yeah. I, mm. Yes, but they're all still eating what they eat. Like, uh-huh. hedgehogs don't eat bacon. Hedgehogs eat nuts and grasses and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. from what I understand, they're herbivores. Yeah, I think they eat grubs and stuff, but, okay. yeah, mostly. Anyway, this is not the Hedgehog Diet podcast. That uh, That's our Patreon that we're going to do. <laughs> uh, we could talk about guinea pigs and how they popcorn. Um, <laughs> anyway... Uh, so we go and we have two, two and a half, three pages in my book of this descriptions of food and eating breakfast. And yes. So he has porridge and by the time it's done, the table's too low. The stools are too low. The forks and cups are too small. Shash he is just complaining about everything. Has to have multiple servings. You know, there was more than enough food. He just had small portions. He had porridge and then he had bacon and eggs and he didn't know what this brown stuff was because he'd never heard of toast. Or that yellow um, stuff. The you yellow on stuff it. because in Toshbon they put oil on things and not butter, which is spoiler, oil. Um, <laughs> and then, you mm-hmm. know, he has this very big meal. Mm-hmm. Never had anything like it before. This is a very non calorie meal. And then he goes out, they then the uh Duffel Rogan and Brickle Thumb all uh, what do they do? Do they cast lots? Do they, uh, roll, yeah, they roll a die mm-hmm. to see who goes for who yeah. goes to clean up? They roll for initiative to see who goes to clean up first. <laughs> um, and so then the other two, Duffel and Bricklethumb, go outside with Shasta. Mm-hmm. They light up their pipes at you know ten in the morning and yeah, it's almost too hot outside. Try to get I yeah. So the kid who just crossed <laughs> the desert is like yeah, it was almost too hot. Mm-hmm. You know, if there hadn't been that breeze, it would have been too warm to sit outside after crossing the desert. Yep. And this is the first, uh, this is the closest we get in any of the books, I think, to a negative description of anything in Narnia. Interesting. I mean, like, we have all of the descriptions of Narnia under the witch. Yes, but, like, Narnia, as it should be, like, is always, like, this perfect green land of freedom, and it's lush, and there's, like, food and animals everywhere, and, like, all this stuff. And uh, this is the first time it's just, like, yeah, if it hadn't been there for that breeze, it would have been too hot outside. Yeah, but with like, the breeze, it's perfect, <laughs> yeah. so. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so we go and smoke some, some dwarf pipe out on the porch, and then... Shasta just passes out in yep. the middle of the dwarf telling him a story. Well, he's not He's not even telling him a story. He's trying to give him the lay of the land, trying <laughs> anyway. to tell him where the mountains are and what parts are what, and points out the null of the stone table, and then he's interrupted by Shasta snoring. <laughs> and Bricklethumb and Duffel make such a noise trying to communicate with each other that they shouldn't wake the kid up, that if he hadn't been so exhausted, they would have woken the kid up. These are the details that really bring the story together yes, and like this make. Is, <laughs> this is what we needed. This is the image that I needed in my head. Yeah. So there's that. Then he goes and spends the whole day sleeping in the dwarf's hut, like really just recovering from this journey. And then we hear trumpets. We hear trumpets outside. Does no? He sleeps all day. Yeah. And then wakes right. up in time for supper, and, and then, then sleeps <laughs> that night. Yeah. And the next morning they hear trumpets. Yeah. After breakfast. Yep. We didn't get a description of that breakfast, so we no. don't know how that would have gone. Can't can't imagine that it was better than the previous one. There certainly was no toast. Otherwise, Lewis would have told us. Yeah. Tumnus would have just shown up. <laughs> you have summoned me with your <laughs> toast preparations. <laughs> oh, man. And um, so we have uh, trumpets. Trumpets you described as valiant in your summary. And I found that to be an interesting thing because we have the only royal that was supposed to be at Caraparavel at this time is Lucy the Valiant. Mm-hmm. And Lucy the Valiant has been summoned by the stag and we hear valiant trumpets. What is the other word used to describe the trumpets? They're um, sharp. Um, sharp, clear, and valiant. Yeah, sharp, clear, and valiant. And we have Edmund the Just and Lucy the Valiant showing up Mm-hmm. With Lord Paradin and Corin once again. So we, Corin comes back, uh, best character in the book. I was hoping he'd come back eventually. Yeah. 
Uh, and he he doesn't disappoint. No, he does not <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, the the whole procession shows up. There's bears. There's talking dogs. There's six giants with them. Um, you know, apparently there's good giants in Narnia. Apparently, uh, but it was a it was a shock. It was something that Shasta had to get used to. Yeah, you know, as opposed to all those bad giants he's dealt with before. Oh yeah, so many bad giants. <laughs> Like, well, I mean, at the same time, his first and deepest fear that what Aslan was, other than a ghost, his first fear was that he might be a giant. Yeah. And Shasta was freaked out about the idea of giants above and beyond even ghosts, above and beyond another lion. You know, like, his first fear was a giant for no reason. The hierarchy of Shasta's fears and uh, things he's, he's dealing with. So we have Corrin show up again, uh, and again, like, second time, immediately, it's just like, Ermagerd, you're here too? Well, now we can have some fun. Let's, let's, you know, professional rowdy boy, Corrin, is just like, yeah. This is let's, gonna be good. Let's, let's tear some stuff up. Um, and they, they got to the harbor, like, that, that morning, apparently, or the, the previous morning, and yeah. the stag had run into them, and it's like... So the stag headed out. to Care Paravel the same time that they arrived at Care Paravel. So the stag met them there as they were probably still unloading the ship. Yeah. And they mounted up and rode off. And now the the royals and Queen Lucy meets uh, Shasta for the first time. And then Lucy says, uh, why so he is your double, as light. As like as two twins. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is this foreshadowing? Or is, is this it to a reveal that they're twins? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't think about I that. I mean, Shasta has royal blood. By the way, he mounts a horse. We know that already. We do know that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this is a marvelous thing. Uh, Shasta apologizes to Edmund, and he's just like, yeah. Not a traitor, by the way. I didn't go run and tell everybody your secrets. And Edmund's just like, "Yeah, I get that, but uh, stop listening in on conversations." For a traitor, don't <laughs> listen to conversations you're not meant to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop listening so hard, kid. Also, like the kid just met the king, and the first thing he is is like, "I wasn't a traitor. I'm here telling you about mm-hmm. Arkenland being attacked." Yeah, uh, and so he's in with them, and then. Corin starts uh starts some issues. Corin does. Uh huh. Corin was the sort of boy whom one is sure to hear of pretty soon. Yep. And while like while Shasta's having this conversation with the royals, Corin's off starting trouble because like apparently there is a dwarf, uh, Thornbutt. So we have <laughs> we have the result of this. And then we go back. So we have a little, like, in Meteor Res moment, like what you've always wanted Lewis <laughs> to do. I know, I know. I'm excited here. Where we we meet we meet Corrin s- standing after a scuffle. Um, they were at it hammer and tongs, mm-hmm. him and a dwarf. Yeah. And we come in with the dwarf bloodied. And Lucy saying, I should have brought my cordial to be able to heal him, but you haven't, you know, I'm not allowed to take it out of the palace. You know, the one thing that Aslan gave me. Um, which which I thought was interesting because, like, she still has this bottle of cordial uh, for probably, she still has this, like, single bottle, like, 10, 15 years later. I don't think it's that long, but yeah. So So obviously this is, like, not something she uses a lot. Correct. And so, like, you know, if you if you have the magical potion of curing all illness, I feel like... I don't think it's all illness. It's it's treating injury. Yeah, which is, is like, it is. it's like, yeah, Peter's right. You shouldn't just take that with you everywhere. Like, yeah. you know, we, we may not need, we need that to bring somebody back from the dead or something. Who knows? Mm-hmm. When... Except that you need it, you needed to get, like, she had to give it to Edmund before he died. Yeah. Like, and, and Aslan got really in her face about the fact that she was waiting for, to make sure that Edmund was okay mm-hmm. before she went and treated more people. He was like, uh, hello, there are other people who need you. Get going, Lucy. Yeah, get gone. And so it clearly needs to be administered before death, which means that <laughs> if you're going to actually have any good from it, it needs to be where the almost dead people are going to be yeah. before they're dead people. 
But see, when Tumnus makes his move and poisons the whole royal court, they're going to need that to, like, <laughs> get everybody back to back to full health before they take him down. Um, anyway, so uh, Corrin and Thornbutt have it out a little bit. Yep. Um, because and then we find out why. We hear the, the story about what just happened mm-hmm. after yeah. we see the results of it. Because they're keeping him out of the battle. Um, they're keeping who out of the battle? Corrin. Yep. Uh, Who's keeping Corrin out of the battle? Uh, Thornbud on orders from uh, the king. Yes. High King is just like, no, keep him out. And then Corrin's just like, I'll knock you down if you try to bind me. Sorry. <clears throat> Redo that. Oi, I'll knock you down if you try to bind me. <laughs> That's uh, my Corrin voice that I have to bring back again. Yep. Which has turned from Australian to guess more of a Cockney thing. Um, <laughs> I'm bad at accents. Yep. Anyway. I'll knock you down if you try to bind me. I'd like to see your highness do it, said the dwarf. Mm-hmm. And that was quite enough for a boy like Corrin. And in a second, he and the dwarf were added yeah. hammer and tongs. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a rowdy boy. He gets in another fight. You know, knocks over a dwarf. Yeah, well, and mostly mm-hmm. the, the dwarf had very bad luck. And he trod on a loose stone. Mm-hmm. Came flat down on his nose. Yeah. I'll be, so, and I'll... he sprained his ankle. Man. You know, a really excruciating sprain. Yeah. He's which gonna... would keep him from walking or riding for at least a fortnight. Mm-hmm. But see, Corrin's rich and white, so he's going to get away with it. Of course he is. <laughs> but I would like to... He I would is li- royal, literally. Uh-huh. I would like to point out here this line uh, where, Pshaw, said Edmund, no one doubts your courage, but a boy in battle is a danger only to his own side. Yep. Which is an interesting thing coming from Edmund. Yes, it is. <laughs> Especially when Aslan forced Edmund and Peter into combat roles. Yes. When they were kids. Yeah. And so Edmund has, like, very, like, dramatically... Like arguments with Aslan being like, Oh, battlefields are terrible places when women fight. How about when <laughs> children fight? Yeah. And Edmund's, like, dramatically moved away from his own childhood experience. Or maybe that's why. Maybe he's just like, yeah, this was terrible, and we shouldn't have done it in there. I'm, I'm not going to make the same dumb mistakes that Aslan did. You're not going into battle. Interesting. Because you're 12. So, I don't know. It, it, is, it is a fun callback. Yeah. Uh, and then, as soon as the king gets called away and they resolve this whole issue, Corrin's just like, all right, well, we, we had a fight. Let's get into some more trouble. Yeah, and, quick. <laughs> there's a spare pony now and the dwarf's armor. Put it on before anyone notices what he says to Shasta. Like, <sighs> why? Because mm-hmm, we're going to go into battle. But Shasta <laughs> doesn't want that. Like, uh-huh. And even Shasta is just like, um, what for? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. But he had been thinking of doing, hadn't been thinking of doing so at all. Mm-hmm. And began to get a most uncomfortable, prickly feeling in his spine. Yeah. So, Corin. That's the bacon. <laughs> Happens to me every time. So, yeah, Corin rolls in, starts a fight, and immediately tries to get Shasta into trouble again. And it's just like, yeah, we're going to go fight in this battle because that sounds like a great idea. Absolutely. So that's the chapter, and that's, uh, that's basically everything that happens. Uh, unfortunately, uh some of our listeners uh, i'm gonna say we've gone back to a chapter where nothing much happens again interesting interesting um, we, see and i think that corin coming back would have been reason enough for you to just be thrilled that this chapter existed it, i am excited that corin came back and like he brings the action to this and like uh but when we really break it down like in the last chapter we have shasta going through the mountain pass he gets into narnia this one he meets some woodland critters he has breakfast, then he meets the royal party. Yep. The entire chapter is just him meeting people. Yeah. Like, we have not advanced a plot really at all. Like no, we have, but we have gotten the... Mm-hmm. Yes, we have. Yeah. Like, from a political mm-hmm. standpoint, we've gone from a country being attacked to now their ally has been summoned to come get them. And that wouldn't have happened yeah. if Shasta hadn't made it to Narnia and met the stag yeah. that actually had the speed to go do it and the... And the um, and the, the practicality to actually rush off to go get the, the, the royals, the, the, whoever 
to get Queen Lucy and to bring her back. Like, that wouldn't have happened. So, like, when you say that there's no plot advancement, that's, that's, that's not accurate. Like, it is a drop in the action, but it's not, it's still progressing the plot. Yeah, uh, it is. And I'm going to cover this in my uh, my review of the chapter at the end, but it just feels like it it kind of deflates the climax that's been building here, is that we really stop and pause to, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. It's like an analog for, you know, in another story. Yeah, but happened. like, I mean, the, the issue that you're having, you're saying there's no plot advancement when there is. Like, we have just taken a country that got sneak attacked. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly their allies are coming when their allies couldn't possibly have gotten informed to come help them if it hadn't been for Shasta coming. Yeah. And for Shasta meeting the stag and, and Duffel and having the stag rush off to go tell the tell Queen Lucy that something had happened. Like mm-hmm. so we have all of this happening as a direct result of Shasta's actions, and it is like it is the political plot it's driving, but it's still driving the plot of the story. Yeah. I gotcha. It's just like I, I, I've thought of a of an analogy for this uh, because you know I have to constantly compare this book to Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. It's like if we're in the two towers, like you know we're we're doing all the climax and the build up uh, to the battle at Helm's Deep, and like we have you know them gathering the armies and fortifying the city and like. You know, the elves show up and there's this, you know, the whole great thing of like them stealing themselves and possibly going to die. And then the, you know, we have the giant horde of orcs marching in. And then right after that scene where we see the orcs come in and the battle lines are drawn, then we cut real quick back to Rivendell and see how Bilbo's doing right now. And it was like, hey, let's spend 10 minutes with Bilbo and see how he's recovering. Yeah, but Bilbo wasn't driving and, anything and, of the plot in the political and, and, sense. And, like, and this is, this is like actually jumping to where Gandalf has been raising help. Uh-huh. And this is actually part of the plot, and this is part of the story, and this is part of what happens. Like, Yeah, okay, fine. You're being too nitpicky. Yeah, I, like, I am being too nitpicky. If you sat down and read this whole book in one sitting, you would not feel like half of the chapters had nothing happen. Probably. It's, it, but I mean, it's, it's because it, you're reading it one chapter a week to analyze it one chapter a week that you're having a problem with yeah. it. It's like I'm, I'm spending four months to read these short children's books. Yes. Which I could read in an afternoon. It's, yeah. Yeah. And it's dragged it out, and I was just talking to you earlier today about how I'm really tired of doing this book series, <laughs> and we have four more books to do. Uh, yeah, you know, we'll, that's true. We we go make it though. Um, anyway, you wanted to say something about the trumpets before we I, wrap up. Yes, I did want to say something about the trumpets. I also wanted to touch back on the stag that the one that just ran off. This mm-hmm. this one is actually practical. Yeah. Duffel and the stag show up. They <laughs> Duffel and the stag. Uh, sounds like it's, a, a it's, weird, you know. It's the buddy cop movie that we're going to uh, put together for our <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> um, so the stag, I wanted to bring back that image of the white stag mm-hmm. at, that um, is at the end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and yeah. is pointed out to the four kings, uh, or the two kings and two queens, the four royals is what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, pointed out to them by Tumnus in order to get them to leave Narnia. Um, and this is an image of the stag as a call to battle mm-hmm. as opposed to a call to return home. Um, so I think that this is an interesting mirroring of the image of the stag. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was interesting when uh, the this whole column comes up. We have Lord Paradin specifically mentioned again, like this person we still know nothing about and is like the only named Narnian human that we've ever encountered. Is he a thing in any other books? I have I not read any of those. I don't know. I okay. have no <laughs> idea. And so like it's just Lord Paradin. He's there. He shows up and Shasta recognizes him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, you, were, you, you said the trumpets and I'm going to need your notes because um i actually you know what i've got my book right here yep. the book's better than my notes i promise well your notes you <laughs> you you used you used the sentence i want to reference in your summary so it was yeah. going to be faster but well i need to get that anyway yeah 
the trumpets sounded again. And I wanted to bring up the trumpets because of this flashback to the, um, not flashback that happens in the book, but just this repeated image of the horn. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring up the horn that Susan was given by Aslan. Uh Um, Susan was given this horn by Aslan. And so it just like, and it was used as a call for aid. Mm-hmm. And then we have in your summary the sentence, the trumpets sounded again, a new noise to Shasta, not huge and solemn like the horns of Tashvan, nor gay and merry like King Loon's hunting horn, but clear and sharp and valiant. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to hit that word valiant because the one royal who was supposed to be at Caraparavel at this time mm-hmm. was Lucy the valiant and that's what she is called and this is what the horn sounds like this is king edmund the just and queen lucy the valiant riding off to war under clear sharp and valiant horns Mm -hmm. and this is shasta's first encounter with queen uh lucy he's never met her yet this is him first meeting her and this is him comparing these horns Like, we had the horn in Tashban, which was, you're completely zoning out on me here. This is one reason why I can't face you when we record, (laughs) because I can see your eyes just wander. The horn in Tashban, yeah. Yeah, so the horn in Tashban, which uh, are used as this um, shutting and opening of the doors, Mm -hmm. where it's like the gate clicking closed. It's Shasta being locked out into the tombs at night alone, Mm -hmm. Um, and his friends can't get to him. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it's the horn, the horn of the hunt, the Tito Ru, the Tiro Tutu Ha, Ho, Tiro Tutu Ho of. I don't think it was important that you got that exactly right. It matters to me. (laughs) Of King Loon's hunting horn, Mm -hmm. um, which is the sound of what's probably Shasta's father. Mm-hmm. And him encountering him for the first time. And it was the sound that Shasta had to lock into as he ran from the hermit, not knowing where he was going. This was his compass point sound, mm-hmm. was to run towards the horn he heard, which happened to be the king's hunting horn. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I just feel like this kind of repetitive use of horns over the stories, like, I don't know. It reminds me of the singing of Aslan in The Magician's Nephew. And... Like, I don't know, just, like, it reminds me of, like, the images of the the whistling police when the cabbie crashes after Jadis has stolen things in London town and all of this stuff. So, I don't know, I just, is there anything that you want to throw in there with that discussion? Because... Uh, no, I mean, I, I think you've hit it. There's not really a lot. I, I can't think of anything else that's... Uh... But are these the the trumpets of the apocalypse and the oh, revelation, Chris? I wasn't trying this, to go there. This is where you're supposed to bring in your theology. Mm-hmm. Okay, but this isn't the book where the world ends, so oh, it's okay. okay. <laughs> but are these some of the horns? Yeah, this is going to start the, the tribulation period. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Because this is going to be right before the the kings and queens of Narnia are raptured back to the, yep. back to the world. Yeah. All right, anyway... Um, so let's see, Lord Paradin, the stag, the trumpets, the frousty fishing hut that Shasta grew up in, uh, Duffel, Rogan, Bricklethumb, uh, Corrin getting in this fight, being at hammer and tongs with the, uh, dwarf whose mm-hmm. ankle gets sprained, yeah. sprained, and then we have Toast. Those are all of my notes. Yeah. Um, Did you have any other notes? No, the only other thing I wanted to touch oh. on is- I have one more. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Sorry. I just moved to the book and saw that I had one more note on the page. Uh, I mean, the only other thing I wanted to touch on was the just the idea of the kind of character that Shasta is in this story, where because I originally thought that this is a coming of age story, and it kind of is, but it's a very interesting take on one, and I'll point I'll put that as a point in the book's favor, uh, where Shasta is only like kind of sort of involved with the events that are going on like he's just kind of there and he's just this guy where you can compare it to something that's a coming of age story like star wars a new hope uh where Where it's luke but he's actually the son of a great king with a twin sibling that he didn't know about uh yes there is there is that analog like 
Lucas stole this directly off of C.S. Lewis. But at the <laughs> same time, like in that storyline, we have Luke, even though he doesn't know it at the beginning of the movie, is, you know, a powerful force user. And, you know, he's going to be a Jedi and he's going to be the linchpin of this entire storyline. It would be like taking that. You're giving Luke too much credit. It was actually Obi Wan <laughs> uh-huh. that Leia was calling for help from. Yeah. So and it would, you know, it would <laughs> it would be very much like that, except let's rewrite Star Wars: A New Hope, and Luke is just like a random farm boy who's just like shows up in Moss Eisley because he's trying to hitch a ride off the off of Tatooine because he hates it and it's crappy there. Oh wait, that's just, what happened. Yeah, and he falls in with Obi-Wan and just kind of goes along for the ride, and nothing special about him is ever revealed. He's just kind of this guy that's there. Yeah. Who's okay. hitching a ride from the but, old man. But, I mean, like, that's kind of the whole point, is that Shasta is not just this kid. Like, we have had all of these characters who have had to encounter what it is that they're going to be when they get to Narnia. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I'm this noble horse, I'm this great battle horse, and I'm a great strategist, but when I get to Narnia, I... I'm not worthy to enter Narnia. This is Bree speaking um, because I I failed. The boy was braver than me. And it's like, uh, eat your pride, mm-hmm. Bree, and you're not going to be a great horse. You're just going to be a horse. And Quinn, who was like this maternal figure who saved Erebus from killing herself and like is it has failed to get everybody to move and, and has failed. And Aslan had to come in and chase her down with a roar and a violence and attack Erevis in order to get Quinn moving. And this is like, Quinn is like, yeah, no, we're not going to be anything when we get there. Um, where she was this horse in a noble family. Mm-hmm. And then we had Erevis, who was this Tarkina, who was the, in this noble family, who was going to be married to the person who was the Grand Vizier. Like, he is, he is one of two people who know about Rabbit Ash's plan. And Erebus is, like, running away to be a nobody. But mm-hmm. we have Shasta, who started out as the nobody, as yeah. the slave boy, as the fisherman's sort of son, mm-hmm. who is running away and is discovering that he might be a prince of of, of, of Anvard, a prince of Arkenland, yes. and have a twin brother and a jolly, jovial, rosy-cheeked father with... A Tiro Tutu Ho horn who goes hunting uh-huh. and he looks noble and has noble blood. And like we've taken these roles that each of these characters was filling before and completely reversed them. Yeah. So that brings me to this question uh, that I have thought about now this time that I wasn't thinking about before. And that a lot of criticism, there is, I don't know so much anymore because I'm not as familiar with the landscape of YA novels as I once was. Uh, so I don't know what's out there and what's the popular thing the kids into are, are into right now. Mm-hmm. But I remember very much back in the days of like Twilight being a big thing and like the Hunger Games and whatnot. And there's a bunch of other like knockoffs uh, of these series where the the main criticism of them was the Mary Sue main characters and like you know how Bella in Twilight is very much just like that. The best way I ever heard her described was she's a comfy pair of pants. <laughs> Uh, and you as the reader can just go in and slip her right on and be like, all right, yeah, I'm this character, I'm in her shoes, yeah, totally fine, because she doesn't have any personality traits that are going to overrule yours. And so you can just be like, yeah, I'm I'm a self-insert in this book. Is Shasta a Mary Sue character? Because I feel like if you were to sit down... I feel like you can't make the argument that he is when you constantly have Lewis coming in and being like, oh, I'm sure you've had bread and toast before, but he didn't know what toast was. Like, you can't, you can't call him like a character that's just there for, especially, I think that the, the first person narrative in young adult fiction really lends itself to that kind of character that you're talking about. Yeah. As opposed to this, which is written in a third person, it is written about a slave boy, mm-hmm. as opposed to just kids who are taken out of London, like the Pevensies. Like I would argue that the Pevensies are more so blank canvases for the for the audience to put themselves into mm-hmm. than Diggory is, than than um, Eustace will be when we get to him. The Jill will be like these are like Shasta's a character, I think. In yeah. my opinion. And I think that, like, less so than, you know, maybe Eustace will be, but more so than the Pevensies were. Okay. I was just trying to sit there and, like, 
come up with descriptive words for Shasta's character. Like, yeah, if, if you're and gonna, there isn't a lot. Yeah, if you're going to describe Shasta without talking about, like, his physical appearance or, you know, his background, um, he's rave-ish. He um, stayed he's, in the tombs overnight. He's like... determined. Uh, um, <laughs> but what else is there? Like, he, he he doesn't have a lot of weight even this far into the story. Yeah. As far as things that make him unique. And that's, I don't know. I'm talking myself more into not liking this book. We need to, we need to move on. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and do our next segment? We also had uh, Shasta refer to the Calermines as savages. Yes. Which I found interesting after, like, he's, he's been among people who call the Narnians barbarians. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up with them. And then just suddenly he flips the script out of nowhere with no prompting. He's just like, nope, these savage Calermines are attacking uh, Arkenland um, based on the word of Erebus. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, he saw them with his own eyes, but like wouldn't have been there to see them if he hadn't taken Erebus's word for it. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so that said, um, let's go ahead and do our, uh, your review. Um, you, well, you, we, we have you, a segment before that, Chris. Do we? Oh, we have our chopped and screwed. <laughs> yeah, you just, I know you you want to skip that this I time. I do because it it's a... so awful. <laughs> it's so bad. All right, so what you're doing is as we go through, you are writing a continuous narrative. Correct. Um, or attempting to. And uh, this one was a hard one for you, 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 you said. It was <laughs> a very difficult one for me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and do mine first so that you can do last week's sentences followed by this week's sentences. Go for it. But what we do with this rewrite is that we take five sentences from the chapter and try to create a new story with them. Here's mine. When did you last have a meal, youngster? It was, in fact, the smell of bacon and eggs and mushrooms all frying in a pan. I wish I could eat grass, thought Shasta. Now we shall have some sport. Mind your head, lad, said Duffel a moment too late, for Shasta had already bashed his forehead against the low lintel of the door. I don't know. Just yeah. Making fun of Shasta. Cool. Go ahead. Huh. Your turn. <laughs> Didn't really have a narrative thread you were trying to connect no, with. No, I told you this one was this one was rough. But like the kid walks down a hill, meets some people, and then eats and sleeps, and then sleeps some more after he eats some more, and then meets some more people. Like, that's it. That's yeah. this whole chapter. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot in there to make a story out of. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, so uh, that being said, here is my rewrite from last week. No one ever saw anything more terrible or beautiful. The only sound was a steady drip-drip from the branches of the trees. Presently, he came to a place where the road divided into two. Yet he felt glad, too. After all, said Shasta, this road is bound to get somewhere. Ooh, somewhere. And then on this week, we're uh, starting here. Your Royal Highness, said Thornbud, drawing him aside, our march today will bring us through the pass and right to your royal father's castle. And I couldn't help hearing your plans. I'd like to see your highness do it, said the dwarf. But he hadn't been thinking of doing so at all, and began to get a most uncomfortable prickly feeling in his spine. It was a longer walk than Shasta wanted at that moment, and his legs had begun to feel very shaky before they came out from the trees and onto Bear Hillside. Ooh. Anyway, it's really vague, really hard to get into this, especially when three of the main characters in the story are not in multiple chapters of the book. Yeah, and you've uh, kind of just abandoned the original conflict that you had been developing. I, I, I mean, I, I, I tried to do a resolution, but we've gone more into like the idea of Shasta's internal tor- turmoil, which I will talk about more as we, you know, when we do our summary episode and I read the entire story front to back. Which you'll sit there and listen to for twenty minutes, which I'm is going to be so excited. A lot of fun. Um, Best day ever. Uh, so yeah, why don't we go ahead and wrap up and do our little review segment where we go back to the chapter and I rate it on a scale of something to something. One uh, to five giants. Giants. All right, we're not doing dwarven coffee cups. Uh, I mean, you could do cups of dwarven coffee. Okay. Um, you could do bowls of porridge if you feel really, really uh into it uh don't like porridge really don't 
things that you're learning about with me, listeners. You know, I also I'm, really don't like the word porridge. Like any of those words that are like with edge, A-G-E at the end. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. I, I, like roughage? Yeah. Or cabbage? <laughs> the ones that have taken a word and made it into another word by adding the A-G. Like, you know. Pouring something and it's porridge. Like I, I don't think that's the etymology of porridge at all. I don't know. That's <laughs> where it comes from for me. Out of cups of dwarven coffee. Anyway, so as I was saying, uh, I feel like this chapter deflated the conflict and the tension that Lewis had been building, and that's kind of a thing that he has a problem with uh, that we've discussed a lot in the past couple books where he'll be building a moment and then suddenly like get distracted and run off and do something else, <laughs> uh, which is just it's bad storytelling um i mean you can have a rise and fall but that's more of like roman empires you know (laughs) yeah um that's more of like the the build-up that's more of like the intro to the story like once you get to the climax which we're there we got three chapters left in the book you need to keep the action going and like he doesn't do that other than that there's nothing i hate about the chapter uh we got corin back who's the best character in the book so that brings it up and counts for something um but yeah we don't really have any character development we don't learn anything new about the world really uh other than the fact that the animals in narnia have become complacent and lazy in their in their you know 10 years of peace they've had yeah they don't they don't deserve a break maybe (sighs) um yeah it was fine not disagreeable uh, Lewis really hopes that we've smelt eggs and bacon cooking before. Like <laughs> It's important, you know? And mushrooms. Yeah. Um, sure. So, I'm gonna say two and a half cups of dwarven coffee. Okay. It's very mad, very average, but hopefully we'll turn it around in the next two chapters and we'll have a good ending to this book. Alright, alright. Okay. Well, I give it some, you know, mushrooms and porridge for breakfast because that sounds like a good time. That sounds like a horrible time. (laughs) Um, Man. All right. Well, uh, thank you again so much for joining us. Chris, did you have anything else you wanted to share? Oh, before we close out, we got to thank Steve for sending us in. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. So we we are all, let me go ahead and do this. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Podcast. If you want to join in, do a rewrite or review, or send us your fan art of a cup of Dwarven coffee. Um, you can also do that at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your rewrites of the chapter at uh, chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. And we also have a Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash chronically podcast where you can give us money and get absolutely nothing in return um chris have we gotten any uh re- rewrites or feedback? we did did we no uh, we have to thank steve for sending in his uh rewrite uh, or re-edit rather of the entire book your special um, request edit <laughs> yeah your end media res first person story told by shasta yeah uh we've always your said 79 <laughs> word document page long rewrite yeah we've always said if we get one of these we'll read it on the podcasts i'm sorry steve we physically cannot do this uh, anyway so thanks steve um we literally can't read it but um yeah we will because there's somewhere on the internet we can post that Kristen. uh if we have permission from steve we can post that on the patreon and people on the patreon could see it Cool. We can post that in like a PDF format, uh, but with Steve's from, permission. From what I've read, it's really fun. It's a great edit, uh, and y'all should read it if we put that up. Anyway, don't drug your mate. Uh, and be sure to grease those oats. See ya. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we have uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and email. Uh, chronically, we are at. So you want me to go first, or do you want me to go? Or, do you want me to go first, or do you want me to go first? <laughs> I guess <sighs> you should go first. Okay. What's a word for like friendly non-helpfulness? 
It's like it's not like they don't care and they're like standoffish. Like they're very welcoming and friendly to Shasta. They just like are like, yeah, whatever. No, when I read that, I thought the exact same thing. I was just like, <laughs> can we eat animals in Narnia? Mm-hmm. Can we? Oi! I'll knock you down if you try to bind me. That's uh, my Corin voice that I have to bring back again. Yep. Which has turned from Australian to guess more of a Cockney thing. Um, <laughs> I'm bad at accents. Yep. <laughs>